In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shittil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Those people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. When the word of the Lord, then the word of the Lord came through Haggai. Is it a time for yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Thank you, Ed. Appreciate your sharing with us today and for hearing about your ministry. And isn't it great that if you saw that uh, slide there, $900,000 was the um, budget that needed to be raised for missions from Eastern Region. And this year we are on a pace to uh, give $51,000 towards that. And that's through the faith promise. That's through what we raise in our missions and what you commit to over these, this mission uh, um, experience this mission conference time, so thank you for that. The time is now, and we are in the second week of our three weeks of our mission conference last week. What a great week we had with the uh, Latin American Friends Pastors Conference here, and it continues this week, and look forward to next week. Uh, today, we are picking up a little bit of where we didn't get to cover last week, and, and then some more, so uh, we're trying to do a sermon and a half in one 30-minute set here, so we're going to go. Uh, and we're in the book of Haggai. Now, if you say, wow, Haggai, that's one I haven't been in a while. I couldn't even find it. Here's the key to if you want to follow along as we go through this morning. If you find that spot right in between the New Testament and Old Testament, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Between Malachi and, and Matthew. And, and then go backwards, three books. Three books. So find it. Go backwards. They're small books. So it's not, depending on how big of your writing is, it might only be a few pages. But you can find the book of Haggai, the third book. between the two Zs, between Zephaniah and Zechariah. So if you find a book that starts with a Z, you're close. And you can go with there. But we're in Malachi. And uh, Malachi is what they call a minor prophet. Not because he was not important, but because of the size of the book. And we'll be talking about that. And we'll be in Malachi this week and next week. And as we get into it, you uh, find interesting stories about this prophet or interesting uh, things going on. And part of that is what's going on in the world at that time. And so it's important as we get into this that we understand what is or what was going on at that time. We have a little timeline up here for you, starting in 586. 586 BC, and of course, People might argue a year or two on these dates, uh, but uh, these, are, these are pretty close or very close. And what we believe, 586, was the fall of Jerusalem. 
If you've studied your Bible, you know that uh, the southern kingdom of Judah was invaded by uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians. They were seized and they were, they were, the city was destroyed. Uh, the temple was destroyed. The walls were destroyed. And, and they were carried off then into exile, a thousand or more miles away into Babylon. And so in 586, the fall of Jerusalem. But Nebuchadnezzar eventually was conquered, and um, Cyrus, uh, King Cyrus, uh, conquered, and the Persians and the Medes came in, and they took over, and then very after uh, Cyrus was Darius, and during this time of Darius, 538 and 537, the, originally was Cyrus, the exiles were allowed to return home. They came back home from Babylon, back home into uh, the promised land, to Jerusalem. And, and they were there, and, but they didn't all come at one time. They would, they would come in, sh in, 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 in the, it, it group at one time and a group at another time. And, and sometimes they didn't even come back because they had formed a, a home where they were there in Babylon and they didn't want to come back. So they would come back at times. And here in 538 and 537, we see the first return of the exiles. They came back and they started to rebuild the the altar, and to make offerings there for God, and they celebrated that. And so, of course, the next thing would be to rebuild the temple. In 536, the rebuilding of the temple begins. But problems arose, and in 530 B.C., the work on the temple stopped. And then 10 years later, 520 B.C., in fact, the Bible is very specific in ways that we normally, don't, we, we normally don't get on August 29th, 520, when we convert this into our Western calendar, 520 B.C., God speaks, and he speaks to the people through the prophet Haggai. And as Ed read here in the first verse, there are a few characters we see in the story. We see, first of all, there, of course, there is God who speaks. There is Haggai, who's the prophet. And Haggai is receiving the word of the Lord. And then he is giving that word to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is the governor. Zerubbabel is in the line of David. So he would potentially be king if they were still a kingdom. But now he is serving as governor. And then there is Joshua, who is serving as the high priest. And this message is being given from God to Haggai to be delivered to Zerubbabel and Joshua and, of course, then to the people. And so in chapter 1, verse 2 of this book of Haggai, we start to see what the Lord is saying, and this is it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. It's interesting that God starts speaking by quoting the people. And he says, here's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing the people say, it's not really a good time. It's not really a convenient time. The time's just not right to rebuild the house of the Lord. For 10 years, there had been inaction. The work had stopped in 530. It's now 520. You know, we're counting backwards. It's BC. And so it's 520, 10 years later, and nothing's happening. And he says, here's what I'm hearing. It's just not time. The, the time, maybe, maybe the timing's not right. Maybe the conditions aren't right. We don't have enough money built up. There's, there's obstacles we're facing. Uh, it's, just, it's just, you know, I, I just don't feel like 
feel like it's the time. And so over the years, there had been this excuses that had been made and this rationalization. And God's house was sitting there. The work had stopped. And so after this statement, he hits them with a piercing question. And it's in verse 3. And it says, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Again, these folks were wrapped up in their lives. They were comfortable. They were secure. They were living in these paneled homes. Now, this paneled is probably a little different than what we may think. It's not like going down to Lowe's or Home Depot and picking up some paneling and sticking up on the side. Paneled, basically here, is a, is a covering. It could be a covering on a wall like plaster, or it could be covering a ceiling. He may just say, you have a roof over your heads. You have a secure home. You have a roof over your heads. Everything's protected. You can kick back and enjoy life. But is it a time that you live in those paneled houses and yet my house remains in a ruin? It's my house remains neglected. You know, it's kind of, I think, maybe it's been out of sight, out of mind. The work stopped and, and, and you just, you kind of, the, 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 the building's still there, the foundation's still there. And, and so there, there would walk by it every day, but you know, the weeds would grown up over 10 years. Decay maybe a little bit of some things. And, and, and it's just like, you know, oh, out of sight, out of mind. I just don't even think about it. I got my own, I got my own important things. I got to get home. I got to take care of things. I got to take care of the house. I got to get the food made. And so over 10 years, God's house was neglected. And it told a lot of the priorities of the people. It told a lot about how they viewed their priorities. You know, time is valuable. Time sometimes is a value money. In fact, for some of us, you know, time is money. For over, well, most of my adult life, in my career, uh, I had to keep track of time every day by every six minutes, what I did. Every six minutes, I had to keep track of what I was doing because we build our clients in tenth of hours. So every, every day, I had to write down, here's, here's what we did, here's what, here's what I did, and, and it, I think it's actually a pretty good practice. I need to start it again, I think. You know, it, it keeps you accountable, keeps you accountable to yourself. I didn't waste my day on Facebook or, or anything like that, you know, I, I, I was productive. It keeps you accountable to your employer, and it keeps you accountable to your clients, that's for sure. I found out clients, this is kind of an odd thing about clients, they don't like being billed for two hours if you only worked on them for one hour. You know, just kind of an odd thing. Yeah, I understand that. <laughs> Keep track of your time. Be accountable for your time. Our time is valuable. And so what we do with it tells us a lot about, about us. And God says, you have all this time, time to be sitting back in your homes and look at my house. And he says, look around. Look at the obvious. Look at the obvious. The obvious here is that you have beautiful homes, or at least homes that are comfortable, homes that you can be secure in, and look at my house. It's a wreck. It's in ruin. And not only do you see it, but all of these who live in the land with you see that. When we don't put God number one, when we, when we live for ourselves and, and, our, and our faith in God and our, and our Christian life and our walk gets placed on the back burner, not only do you know that, but those who are watching you know that. 
And those folks who are looking at them saying, they're not doing, they're, they're, this is their God, but they don't care enough to even build his house? What kind of testimony, what kind of witness is that to the people? Where's, where are we putting our time, our talent, our treasure? Because I found out, you know, when you, when, especially when God's asking for your time or your talent, your treasure, it's never a good time. Is it ever a good time to go spend a lot of money? <laughs> is it ever a good time to put aside what you're doing and go do something that's work and hard? If, if, you know, if, you, if we wait for the good time, it's never going to come. I was looking back at some of the records in the history of, of this church. Do you know we started downtown, we're pretty close to downtown on Cedar and 33rd Street uh, years ago. And, and, and quickly we were outgrowing that, plus the congregation was moving to the east. And it was in 1932, 1932, that somebody said, it's time. It's time to move, and it's time to, to buy, and it's time to take risk, and it's time to, to, to expand. Now, do you know what 1932 was? <laughs> 1932 was the depths of the Depression. From 1929 to 1932, the gross domestic product of the entire world shrunk 15%. In 1932, the, the unemployment in the United States was 24%. I can imagine if I'd been sitting in this committee meeting and somebody stood up and said, here's what I think we ought to do. We ought to go out. We have no money, no money in the bank. We ought to go out, and we ought to go out to Melbourne and Superior, and we ought to buy that church that's for sale, and we ought to move. Being the accountant that I am, I had something said something like, very polite, like, you're nuts. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Have, you? have you looked around? This is not the right time, Right? This is not the right time. Why would you do it now? Anytime but now. <laughs> but in faith, they stepped out. Said, no, this is the time God has called us to do. This is what God has called us to do. Well, we know in 530 B.C., they were facing the same type of dilemmas. They were facing similar problems. In fact, we know that because Ezra, in his book, also records a little bit of what was going on at this time. Ezra came along a little bit afterwards, but he writes this in chapter 3, verse 11. This was right after the foundation had been laid on the, on, and, and they started the work in, in 530. He says, and all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. What had started out to be this great movement, what had started out to be this great work of the people, ended up in discouragement. By comparing what they were doing to what had been. The ones who could remember are looking back and saying, wow, that old temple, it was so beautiful. Solomon's temple was so majestic. It was so big. And look at this puny, little, ugly thing we're doing. And they began to compare their work 
with what had been before. And discouragement sets in. They were a small group. This was a small group that had returned in exile. The first group was about 50,000. 50,000 people. They didn't have much. They didn't have a lot of time, probably. And so they were easily discouraged when they looked at what they could do and say, you know, this is all we can do. This is all we can do. Satan loves to discourage us, especially by making us, when we compare our gifts or, or what we've done or our ministry to somebody else's ministry. Especially nowadays, you can go out and look and see what people are doing around the country and around the world and say, wow, look at that, look at that, look at us. And we get discouraged. But it's not just discouragement from looking at past. It goes on in chapter 4, verse 4 of Ezra, and he says this, then the people around them, which Ezra had originally called enemies, set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They were obstructionists. They were trying to stop the work from being done. These were people who had taken up residence there while they were gone, while they were in Babylon. And so they've come back and they said, we don't want your temple, we don't want your God. And so they're discouraging him and trying to keep them from, uh, from accomplishing what God had called them to do. Satan was at work. I read something in a commentary this week and it just stuck with me so much. It says this, we can never expect the cooperation of the enemy in a truly spiritual task. We can never expect the cooperation of the enemy in a truly spiritual task. When God's called us to do something, when God's called us to do ministry, Satan doesn't just kick back his heels and say, oh, go at it. And he doesn't say, I'll help you. No, he sends destructionists. He sends discouragement any way he can. Just because we've been called to do something by, great, by God doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy. Just because God is asking us to take on a ministry doesn't mean there's not going to be any problems. Just because God wants us to go out and, and do something doesn't mean that, 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 that Satan isn't at work. Missionaries find this out all the time. The work on the mission field, God's called them to do it. But it's not easy. Our work in China started, and, and it, it was never easy. In fact, here's one little book, Events in Old Kathy, by one of our missionaries, Elsie Maddie. And just one sentence or two, she wrote, writes here, she says, in China, during those years, during the years they were there, wars and rumors of wars often disturbed the mission work. Destruction of mission and personal property was costly. But God, who was on the scene, never failed. Story after story of our missionaries in China, dealing with the communist takeover and dealing with all the wars and property they built being burnt to the ground while they were hiding 20 hours in a cistern, not to be found where they'd be murdered. Another missionary, her name was Anna Nixon. All Anna wanted to do was to get to India. God's called me India. All I want to do is get to India. And the boat she was on to India arrived in Manila, Philippines. Here's the first paragraph of chapter 1. Oh, by the way, this was December 8, 1941. The Japanese had bombed Pearl Harbor. The ominous news crashed down like a bomb on the 200 passengers in Manila Harbor on the USS President Grant. 
As one of those passengers on December 8th, 1941, 7.30 a.m., I had a spoon in my breakfast grapefruit. We were anchored in Manila, expecting the orders to get underway for India by noon that day. Stunned, I looked around the room. Everything looked the same, but suddenly everything was different. The world was aflame with blazes of war uncontrolled, and we were at the very center of the conflict. The boat wasn't able to leave. The Japanese came. Anna Nixon, young lady from Evangelical Friends, spent three years in internment camp in prison until she was released in 1945. And when those hundred or so Americans came through to release them from the camp, over half gave their lives that day to release them. When God calls us, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean we're not going to be discouraged. It's not going to mean there's going to be delays. It doesn't mean there's not going to be frustrations. But it doesn't mean we stop. But Ezra 2.24, the end of that chapter, or 4.24 says, at that point, the work on the wall or on the temple came to a halt. Came to a halt. And now Haggai, 10 years later, in verse 5, in speaking to these people, he says, You've, you're sitting in your homes, my house is a ruin, and he asks, says this, Give careful thought to your ways. Think about what you're doing. Think about it. Evaluate. Examine yourself. And he says, look at the obvious. The obvious is my house is a ruin. And you're living in paneled homes. But then as they're contemplating this, he says something else. As they're, as they're thinking, as they're evaluating, he says in verse 6, you have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. He says, look around. There's the obvious. The obvious is my house is not being built and you're living. But there's some other things that you probably haven't noticed. Or at least you haven't connected the dots. Have you noticed your money's being wasted? Have you noticed you're not, your plants are not being harvested? Have you noticed you eat and you're not full? Have you noticed these things? Have you ever thought, have you ever thought there may be a connection? And then he says in verse 7 what he said in verse 5. Give careful thought to your ways. Think about it more. Think about it harder. Think about it deeper. And so God does what maybe they couldn't do. He connects the dots for them. It was after what we had read this morning. It's not on the screen, but listen to verse 9. Listen to verse 9 here in Haggai 1. He says, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you bought, brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy in your own house. God connects the dots for him. He says, he says you, haven't know, you might not have thought about it, but your lack is due to your inactivity. Your lack is because you have put yourself first. 
Your lack is because you failed to have your priorities and take care of the house that should be taken care of. What do you do? What do you do when you're, when you're confronted with an uncomfortable reality? And this is an uncomfortable reality. I think if I'm sitting there, you can do some things, you can just ignore God. Nah. Just, I, I think I hear something, but can't be. Or we can deny it. Nah, nah, that can't be the reason. It's, it just hasn't rained enough. Or it's rained too much. Or it's been too cold. Or it's been too hot. Or somebody just needs to sew up my purse. It's other things. Or they can whine about it. Yeah, I know it's true and I don't like it. God, that's not fair. It's your fault. Or we can do something about it. And that's what God says. In fact, there in verse 8, God said, here's, here's, here's how we handle this. He just says, we've got to go up into the hill into the mountains. We got to bring down the timber and you got to build a house. Go up, bring down, and build. Do. He said, I've asked you to think, I've asked you to consider, now I'm saying do. Go and do it. It's going to cost something. But he says this, so that I may take pleasure in it and I may be honored. When we obey God, when we obey him, when we sacrifice, when we put him first, it pleases him, and he's honored by it. God takes pleasure. God said, go. So that was the word. That was the word. And the last verse of Haggai chapter 1 tells us that on September 21st, 520, the work restarted. Notice that's less than a month after receiving the initial word. They got to action. They got moving. Have you ever been, you know, there's a big work and you start it and it, it kind of dies down and, and then you get rejuvenated again and you start it again? Does that mean it's going to go easier the second time? <laughs> no. Does that mean you don't have the same problems you had the first time? No. And God knew this, and four months later, or four weeks later, four weeks later, he speaks again, and he says this in chapter 2, verse 3. He says, who is left among you who saw the house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing by comparison? This seems like a strange thing for God to say. He's kind of saying, wow, what you're building there is really ugly. <laughs> what you're building there is really pathetic. That's what it seems to me like he's saying. He's saying, you know, you're looking at this and you remember what it used to be and you're looking at this and say, wow, I, I just, it, it. Never expect the cooperation of the enemy in a truly spiritual battle. God knew discouragement was coming. God knew that they would look at this and probably have the same thoughts they had 10 years before. This is ugly. <laughs> Other people's ministries are a lot better than mine. Other people are succeeding in ways I've never even thought about. God says, yeah, you're looking at this and you're thinking, this is pretty bad, isn't it? Well, he follows that up in verse 4. He says, even so, be strong. Be strong, Zerubbabel. This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong, all ye people in the land. This is the Lord's declaration. He said, I know the task looks difficult. 
I know it looks tough. I know there are people obstructing you. I know you don't have the resources in your mind. I know you don't have the time in your own mind. And I know you look at it and you say it's not worth it because it's ugly and it's, and it's nothing compared to what it used to be. He says, but be strong. Be strong. The same thing he told Joshua originally, the original Joshua, when he was going into the promised land after Moses. He says, be strong and courageous. You've got a job to do. You can't do it. But that's the thing. You can't do it. You can't do it. It's not your power. It's my power. He told that to Paul, the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. It's in your weakness. It's those ugly things you're trying to build that my power is made strong. Therefore, I will boast all more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God is calling us. God is calling them in the difficult times, in the struggles, to keep on, keep on, to be strong, be courageous through the difficult times. If he's called us to do it. And let me add one thing too. Maybe, maybe you're the Haggai in this situation. Maybe you're the one with the word of encouragement. We all need a word of encouragement. When, and when people are going through ministry, boy, you can use words of encouragement. And if God said for you, hey, encourage that person, do it. <laughs> Be the Haggai. Say, God's told me I need to keep strong, keep going, keep at it, keep the good work up. What you're doing is valuable. And that's what God was saying to Zerubbabel. And that's what God was saying to Joshua. And that's what God was saying to the people. And then he says this in verse 5, work. 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 I've heard a saying, you've probably heard it too, when, men, when I work or when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. You heard that? I've heard that too and I believe it. When we pray, God works. But there's also a time where God says, Work. Work. You've prayed, now work. And here he says, work. Work for I am with you, declares the Lord of armies. This, this is a promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. My covenant is good. I will work good to my word. I will keep my promises. Don't be afraid. Don't get discouraged. Dr. Charles Stanley says this. He says, disappointments will come and go. But discouragement is a choice. Disappointments in ministry, they will happen. Disappointments will happen, and, and if you're trying to lead a class, if you're trying to lead a growth group, if you're trying to do some other great work, disappointments are going to happen. But discouragement is a choice. God says, be strong. Be encouraged. Keep at it. Work. We've got we to gotta listen. We've got we to gotta think. Think. And then we've got to do. And then God says, watch what I do. In fact, he closes with this in verse, chapter 2, verse 6. The Lord of armies says this, Once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver and gold belong to me. This is a declaration of the Lord of armies. The final glory of the house will be, uh, the final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of armies. I will provide peace in this place. This is a declaration of the Lord of armies. He says, don't worry. Don't worry that it doesn't look good. Don't worry that it's smaller. 
What counts is my glory is going to be there. And you know what's going to happen? They don't know this. But in about 500 years, some guy in a hair is going to come along. He's going to decorate it up and make it a little bigger and make it nicer. And then not too long after that, the King of Kings, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, will walk through the halls of this temple. The glory to come will be greater than the glory Solomon could ever imagine. God says, think, then do, and then watch. And those three words, think, do, and watch, summarize everything that that Haggai has been talking about today. He says, think, think. Contemplate your ways. Consider your ways. Examine yourself. Where are your priorities? How are you serving God? What does your priority list tell you about your relationship with God? Think about it. Give it careful thought, he says. Careful thought. Don't, don't, don't let anybody fool yourself. Don't fool yourself. Give it careful thought. Look deep. And then... After you've considered, do what God's called you to do. Be obedient. Be obedient to what he says. Be obedient to his word so that your, so the blessings don't get withheld. Do what he asks us to do. And here's the good part. Then we get to watch. Watch what God does. Watch what God does. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for your work in our lives. We thank you for this word that speaks to us, Lord, in this little book that we don't turn to a lot of times, and sometimes we do it because we don't really understand what's going on. Lord, we thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for the challenge you've issued, Lord, to to examine our ways, to give careful thought to our ways. Lord, I pray that each one here today would give careful thought to our ways. And Lord, We also pray that we would be obedient as we give careful thoughts. Lord, give us courage to do, not to to get discouraged, not to let those who want to be obstructionists get in our way. Lord, not to compare our work to what's been done in the past or, or what other people do, but Lord, what you've called us to do. Lord, help us to be strong through that. And then Lord, this morning, we want to be able to sit back and watch you work, to watch you do the work that we could never do. Your power working through us. Your power working in our homes, in our church, in our neighborhoods. Your power working in our nation. Your power working across this world, Lord. We want to see that. Lord, we're thankful that we can come this morning, that we can rejoice in you, and that we can serve you. So go with us as we go today, Lord. May may you lead and direct us. Lord, take our feet, places that we need to minister to. Lord, give our hands the strength to, to serve. Lord, give us the heart to love those around us. Father, we, we thank you for the protection that you've given us. and Lord, the comfortable homes we do have. And I think of those this week whose homes have been wiped out. 
Lord, we lift them to you. We pray for um, safety and workers and, Lord, for the provision of those who are in need in our own country this week through, through Lord, the hurricane. Lord, we pray for those of our missionaries and, Lord, for those in the work of Ed and, Lord, others. And, Lord, challenge us as we go today to bring honor and glory to you by serving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before you go today, if you've been thinking about, wow, what can I do? I just don't know what I could do. Uh, examine yourself, but out are lots of tables. And there are ministries of Friends Church right here. Uh, next week, we're going to have outside ministries, so they're just here today. If you think, I want to do something, I'd like to do something with some friends, some people from the church here, stop by the tables. Find out. Maybe you can be in Upward. Maybe you can be in Betty's Boutique. Maybe you like to be in Youth Explosion or one of the things going on there, or involved in, human in the stamping out human trafficking. All those things are many, many more out there for you to do that. Encourage you. Get involved, and those are going to be out there. Ed's going to be out there in the back also. And uh, I'd love for you to see what's going on. Tonight, 6 o'clock, congregational meeting. Uh, as we look at our organizational structure, a little bit of worship time, a great time together. And we're looking forward to that. And, of course, don't forget, at each door, there are boxes for your offering. Uh, we greatly appreciate that. And that, uh, the Connect cards, if you let us know you're here, we do appreciate that. Any prayer requests you have. Uh, so today, go and serve him with gladness. And you know what you need to do? We need to think a little bit. We need to do and then watch what God will do. Go in peace. You're dismissed.